Welcome to the Decipher Podcast. I'm at CanSec West, and my guest today is Joe Fitzpatrick, who is one of the best hardware security researchers and trainers in the world. And uh, Joe gave a talk here on hardware implants, and he used this really great concept, I thought, of trying to explain this through Greek mythology, which is not something you typically see at, at security conferences, but it was a really well-done talk. Um, so, Joe, maybe let's just start out, like, how did you come up with that concept for using Pandora, Cassandra, Aristotle, all these uh, mythic Greek figures to kind of explain hardware implants? You know, I'm, I've always been a, a fan of Greek mythology, and um, there's a lot of stories that explain things that are very similar to the things we encounter. The two that, like, I really picked out, uh, you know, Pandora, you know, her, 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 she's curious, right? She opens the box, and how, what, what difference is what she did uh, versus, you know, what anybody does when they inspect something and find vulnerabilities? Yeah. The other side of it is um, uh, the recent news kind of inspired me to think about the, 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 the coverage and the the, 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 the reception of some of this information. Um, and, you know, the story of Cassandra, where, you know, she's, you know, gifted with, you know, the gift of prophecy, but also cursed with the fact that no one will believe <laughs> no one anything she her. says. Right. Um, so uh, the, the, the two of those kind of summed up a lot of my feelings, you know, the past fall, you know, when people were making bold claims about hardware implants. Um, but what I didn't see was the, the rational approach to, you know, Understanding like what's real, what's not. Uh, my background is hardware. I can look at an, a report of some hardware risk and, and make an informed guess about it. But the vast majority of people don't have that skill set, right? Yep. Um, so that's kind of where I, you know, pulled it all together, and you know, hardware Trojans, you know, just kind of <laughs> adds up just right. <laughs> and you showed that great picture of like, was that photoshopped? Like the the Trojan USB thing, or was that a real thing that you own? Oh, no, I, I found a, a, Troj a horse-shaped USB drive. <laughs> and as I described in the presentation, you know, the Greeks fought for 10 years against the Trojans and could never win. So rather than taking the direct approach, they took the social engineering approach, and they, they dropped a horse in the parking lot <laughs> with a picture of a horse USB drive. And, you know, Cassandra, of course, warns them, like, don't plug that drive in. It's full of malware. Bad stuff's going to happen. Uh, they do it anyway, and it, you know, ransacks the city, takes down their IDS, you know, opens the gates, everyone comes in. Right. So, I like the way that you um, you use Pandora specifically uh, to talk about like the curiosity thing, mm -hmm. and you mentioned you know curiosity is essentially the core ethic of hacking. Like you've got to have this base curiosity to even get started. Like you have to want to know how things work, how they fail, how they, you know succeed like why they work and that kind of stuff is that kind of why you got into hardware hacking in the first place so was, like was that curiosity at the base of it for you too um you know uh from the being young you know i i was fascinated by computers we were lucky enough to to have a you know um several old you know pc clones which yeah. you know i i played with i didn't really get into programming um until later than you know all the people who started programming when they were five but um I was always fascinated by what made the next level work, um, and I kept going down through software. You know, I learned more about like assembly, and then I kind of learned, you know, conceptually like CPU architecture, and that really fascinated me. And rather than like pick any one of those levels to to stick on, I just keep going deeper, um, <laughs> which kind of got me where I ended up. Which, you know, I started my career doing silicon debug, uh, you know, tools for silicon debug uh, for server and desktop CPUs, which. It's kind of pretty low level when you get down yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you mentioned in the talk that, uh, you know, one of the main concepts was 
yes, there are these debug features in chips and other pieces of hardware, and they're essentially backdoors. That, that's what they're meant to be. They need to function when everything else isn't working right. And you can't really differentiate between a malicious backdoor and a debug feature. Like uh -huh. it, it's kind of the, you know, uh -huh. without some use, you know, some actuality involved. Like, uh -huh. how are people using it? Um, is that a concept that you have to explain to people fairly regularly when they're talking about these? You know, thinking, oh, this is a backdoor. Um, uh it's funny, I'm, I'm thinking back to a presentation at KiwiCon, and I don't recall the presenter or the exact detail, but it was, you know, Bitcoin-y stuff, um, where he showed basically the proof that um, profit and theft are functionally identical, <laughs> right? You know, you, you input stuff to a system, you take stuff out of the system, and you get money in the process. <laughs> right. And, like, well, that's profit, that's that. Like, yeah. you know, when you, when you look at it in literal, like, mathematic sense. Um, so, yeah, you know, I... I you know, when someone is unfamiliar with the way of, uh, of low-level hardware and low-level debug, right, it makes perfect sense that they would see a backdoor and think it's a backdoor, right? right? Um, but then when they have a little more understanding about, like, why this functionality has to exist, why in order to bring up a piece of silicon, you need the ability to debug the silicon. In order to debug the silicon, you need observability into the silicon. Um, you know, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a, a manufacturable, sellable product without having the way to debug it. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, the detachment, you know, you know, basically pointing out, like, you know, one of the things I pointed out, like, you know, if, if you encounter something in hardware and you don't understand it, like, find a domain expert, right? <laughs> right. Because the domain expert, like, you know, and I don't mean, like, top of the field domain expert, like, you know, it's just a hardware engineer or someone who's, like, built network adapters before or something, you know, um, who is familiar with the components you're dealing with. Um, there are lots of people who aren't security people but, you know, know about this. Uh, it, it, what's interesting is, you know, whether we're talking about, like, implants inside of network adapters or we're talking about Rowhammer, right? Mm -hmm. People who make memory cells have understood Rowhammer for ages, but they didn't put it together as, like, a software accessible vulnerability yeah. until we kind of put the things together, glue it all together, you know, open the, open the box and take a look at what's inside. Yeah. So more broadly, how big of a concern do you think this whole supply chain uh, attack thing is? To me, it seems like a very big concern, uh, depending on, you know, who the customer is and what their threat model is. But it, it's something that people in the security community definitely think about. But I don't know how much the broader, like, government and enterprise security uh, communities think about it? For a very long time, uh, when I would talk about hardware security, people would say, you know, assume that I'm talking about supply chain security. Um, yeah. But that's supply chain security from, like, you know, the, 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 the um, you know, government side, the, the, you know, military side of, like, oh, we need to make sure we get, you know, the, these tools from this source and that they're reliable sure. and everything. You know, like a, a very different approach to supply chain security. And my perception of that was like, we have a bunch of people who've been thinking about supply chain security for you know, hundreds of years, mm -hmm. um, and they're looking to apply their approach to think that that's going to solve hardware security. And it won't, right? You know, uh, the example I use is we could have a, you know, a trusted network adapter made by trusted people in a trusted fab and put on a trusted board and shipped by a trusted courier and installed by a trusted person. But if this network adapter takes firmware updates over the wire, <laughs> we still don't have secure hardware. Right. Um, but how big is the problem? It's huge. Like I think the 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 great part about recent news is it's making people aware of this, mm -hmm. um, and 
I've been trying to point out the reaction is what we need to be careful about. You know, the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction is not good. The like, hey, we need to talk to our supply chain. We need to find out where our servers come from, where our boards come from, where the components on the boards come from. Um, up until this point, no one's really asked those questions uh, in volume. Like, cons volume consumers haven't asked those questions. Right. If they start asking those questions, then the suppliers are going to have to come up with answers and processes for, like, documenting this stuff. Um, so we're in a spot where we don't really, when we have visibility into supply chain, but we have that from a uh, accountability and a counterfeit avoidance perspective, we don't necessarily have that from a, a tamper maliciousness perspective. I mean, how much can enterprises really do about that? I mean, they have to rely on the companies that they're buying this gear from to, you know, go and inspect these plants and hope that they're vetting their employees and like mm -hmm. nine levels down the way that you were almost the way you were describing like software down to the hardware. Like, it, I don't know how much control the regular enterprise customer can have on that. Yeah. And um, really, we it's best to have the the. <laughs> What has worked so far, essentially, is the, 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 the consumer demand and the, the, the uh, commercial reputation. You know, like, yeah. you know, people always talk about China and China's doing this and China's doing that. It's like, yeah, and China does not want us to stop buying things from them. Right, they need our they, money. They need our money. Like, yeah. they're, they're not going to do this, you know, flat across the board. You know, and just like that, you know, uh, a motherboard manufacturer is not going to backdoor all their clients because they're going to lose every one of them if it comes to light. Yep. Um, I don't know what Supermicro's position is right now, but like, um, yeah, they're, they've been damaged by this news. We still don't even know the, the details of like what actually happened. Right. Um, so yeah, the the that fact, the fact that people in the end are looking to deliver products and looking to deliver secure products, whether they explicitly state that or not. Um, that's the, 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 the economic incentive to, to keep, keep the supply chain clear. Right, yeah, and, and that's mostly what it comes down to, right, uh -huh. is like you mentioned, that economic incentive, the buying power. Like people, you know, manufacturers, even in countries that are controlled by an authoritarian government, aren't going to backdoor all their stuff because mm -hmm. they're selling things overseas, like unless they're ordered to, uh -huh. which seems, you know, Self-destructive for the government, yeah, isn't it? Self, exactly. You know, if you're if you're an international company and you're ordered to backdoor everything, then I mean, this is the same argument that I came up with the whole Apple case, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Who, who's allowed to get those backdoors? Every country that you sell this phone in, um, right? It's it's a slippery slope. It's unfortunate because it seems like the world is moving in that direction, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be a big change from the past twenty years of you know free trade and, you know, uh, everyone trusting everyone else's hardware and software to do the things they're supposed to do. Right. Um, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that erosion of trust is going quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not it, it's not gradual anymore. It seems to be going off a cliff. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know where that's going, but. Yeah, and I, I'm reluctant to give any time to arguments of, like, national, national inf influence, like, oh, we can't buy X because it's made by Y, or we can't buy X because it's made by Y, because once you start that conversation, there is no end to that. Like, you basically will realize if you want to actually uh, follow through, you have no choice but to only purchase domestic, you know, right. things. And that, that's going to be a very different world than what we've got right now. It is. It's a very isolationist uh -huh. position to take. And, it, you uh -huh. know, that might have worked in the 18th century. It doesn't work all that well right now. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the other things you mentioned in your talk is 
you know, this idea that yes, there are, hardware implants exist. We know of examples. Like there are groups that can do this stuff. They mostly reside inside intelligence agencies, probably like the NSA. We've actually seen their catalog of of toys, which you mentioned. I would assume there's other foreign intelligence services that can do this stuff. Do you think that there are private teams that have this level of capability as well? Um, I'm certain that there are teams that have some capability. I don't know where it compares. Um, okay. So, you know, a good example of this is like, you know, gas station ATM skimmers, right? Oh, yeah. These are people who are, you know, criminal organizations that whether they're designing it or outsourcing it or contracting to someone to do it, they're designing hardware implants. They're designing devices that an unskilled worker can go and cram inside an ATM or a gas station pump. In 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. And then they're getting people who just show up and, you know, download a list of all the cards that have been scanned by Bluetooth, right? Right. And we're talking about $5 worth of hardware. We're talking about an an unskilled, you know, installer, attacker, and retriever of the data. Like, very different from the, the 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 ideal that people imagine, where you have some you know elite technical person who you know crafts something themselves and go and open up a machine and spends twenty minutes like finding the right wires to, to cross. Yeah. It's it's plug and play, right? And that's for them. That's a volume business. Like mm-hmm. if if it's five dollars worth of hardware and it's unskilled labor to install it, if you develop a process to build these things, you build a bunch of them, you send these folks out to install them on. 100 gas stations or 100, you know, convenience store ATMs, right? Like, it's not just a one-off hit, right? Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and, I mean, that's that's just that that realm of things. You know, what's really cool to me from a hardware designing perspective is the capability of what you have in such a small space anymore, right? You know, you can have a couple square inches or, you know, a square inch, and you can fit a full-stack Linux operating system. Um, (laughs) And, you know, know, chances are you're implanting it in some place you can already grab power from. And, you know, uh, a full GSM radio, you know, takes another, you know, half a square inch. Uh, You know, you can can fit a lot inside of everything. Like, I don't know if this microphone might also (laughs) have, like, a cell phone inside as well as, you know. It certainly could, yeah. And where did you buy it from? What country was it manufactured in? You know, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So you do a lot of training as well, in, in addition to your, your research and conference talks. Who are the folks that you're training these days? Are they folks inside enterprises? Are they you know, kind of individual researchers like you? Or does it kind of go across the board? Um, there's quite a range. Uh, my background, again, is product security for CPUs. So I come at this with a, let's hack all the things, because then we can show how easy it is. No one's going to fix a bug that only you know, an intelligence community is going to be taking advantage of. But if I show that it doesn't cost $10,000, it costs $5, yeah. it's a bug worth fixing. So my target audience originally was mostly like uh, product security people, people designing you know, IoT devices, embedded devices, things like that, um, yeah. or the software stacks that go on it to give them a little more idea of what's possible so they can keep it in mind as they design. Um, I've had a lot of people who are you know, consultants who basically go and consult, like, oh, so you build a home automation device, we're going to go and do an engagement, we'll analyze all of it. Um, and a lot of those people have strong software backgrounds, you know, a lot of people start as web app pen testers and kind of sure. move into to, to fancier stuff, and they want to get in the hardware game. And, you know, if you're going to do a pen test on an embedded device, right, you could sit there and go and ping it over the network over and over again, or you could open it up and realize you'll get a lot of information just by observing the hardware. Yeah. And, you know, then there's other people who, you know, have various reasons for wanting to break hardware, (laughs) (laughs) which also take my class. (laughs) Sure. Um, Is it, how many people do you see in your classes that started on the software side and are now trying to get into the hardware? Is that 
the majority? Is it where does that fall? It's the majority at this point. Yeah. Um, I taught a series of classes to a bunch of uh, hard uh, hardware security graduate students, but you know they are mostly you know they're hardware security specialists, but strong in software, right? So you okay. know to get the breadth of hardware, the breadth of physical access, um, it was really. Uh, yeah, everyone comes in with, with kind of a base of software and a software understanding at least, and I find it's the hardware and the, the it's actually the comfort with being okay with hooking up wires that is kind of <laughs> the, the, the critical skill. Like yeah. once you're okay with like I'm gonna hook a wire up and it might spark and it might fry something, right. but I'm gonna do it anyway and I'm gonna learn from it. Right? That yeah. that's kind of the, the 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 big step that people take. And once they've taken that step, then it's kind of a lot easier. You learn the tools, you learn what to do, you learn um, that again, you know, it's just another layer. If we just have the right tools to observe it, we can find out what's going on. That's half the fun though, isn't it? Like seeing sparks fly and like oh, yeah, this yeah, shit yeah. going <laughs> wrong, right? Like that's yeah. why you do hardware oh, yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you want to see things break. Uh-huh. Like, um, yeah. In weird, unexpected ways. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's 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 really preferable to have them break when you want them to break and not break <laughs> by accident. I uh, cause house fires or something along those lines. I was lines. messing with the firmware on this tablet, and it was a pricey tablet, a few hundred dollars, and I totally bricked it. And I wasn't sure how. And then I thought, like, I might have, uh, uh, you know, put overvolted the flash chip, um, so the flash was broken. And so I went and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna buy another one. I bought another identical tablet, a few hundred dollars, and I did the exact same thing to it. And it's like. Like, I know what I did the first time, and I wasn't going to do it, and I did it, like... Yeah. Right. So, you know, $800 of tablets later. <laughs> Still haven't achieved my goal of, you know, <laughs> messing with the firmware. Still not sure what happened. Still not sure what happened, and it's like, yeah, maybe I should just move on to a cheaper project next, and <laughs> when I've got that one more solid, I'll go back to the tablets. It's like when your kids tell you, like, it hurts when I do this, and you're like, uh, don't do that. You're just like, well, yeah, I don't know why it hurts, though. I need to figure that part out. Well, and it's the benefit of hardware is there's so many opportunities, you know, there's so much, uh, unfortunately, there's so much discarded hardware right now. Oh, yeah. That it's oh easy God. to grab something that has no value, take it apart, and learn from it. And you do that enough times, then you get confident in your skills. You can open something up. You can dump the firmware. You can desolder chips and solder them back. And generally, it still works. And if it doesn't work, then you just, you broke some trash, right? <laughs> um, and once, you're, once you get comfortable with that then going on and, like, Saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a thousand dollars for this box, and I'm gonna solder something in it," you're, you're a little more confident with that. You're like, yeah. you, you're confident that not only can you do it, but if you do mess it up, you can probably fix it as well. Yeah. So, you mentioned you saw some uh, hardware security grad students. How, what's the age range of folks you're seeing? Like, are you seeing younger uh, folks, like in their kind of mid-career people, kind of switching over to hardware security, or is it mostly folks coming out of college or people just trying to like add another skill? That's a good question. Um, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I would say there's a handful that are definitely like straight through, you know, undergraduate to graduate to yeah. you know, research. Um, but there's definitely people who are coming back, and a lot of the the corners that they were going on were, were more specialized. So you know, crypto backing, a physics backing, you know, some yep. of these other things, and being part of a group that's doing hardware research. So it you know, falls under the umbrella of hardware security research, but it's really very multidisciplinary. So, Yeah. How, how much contact do you have with like, the hardware security folks inside, like the manufacturers? Like, do you like, share ideas and like, that kind of stuff with like, the chip makers and that kind of stuff? Or is it just kind of like at conferences like this, just kind of see folks? 
Um, most of it is at conferences and networking and things. I have taught a class a few times on uh, secure silicon design um, in Verilog. Um, Verilog's a, a hardware descripting language, description language, description language um, that most lots of chips are made of. And um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like you know, you, you roll back to like the old like you know how to code securely. You know, what are the things to avoid? What are the string yeah. functions to avoid? It's kind of that kind of stuff for for Verilog. Um, and I know a few people have taken that who you know turn around and and you know use some of that knowledge. So. Nice. But no, I, I don't have a formal dialogue with with anyone at this point. Yeah, maybe you should. Just, just lots of friends. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's helpful. That's yeah. maybe more helpful. All right, Joe. Thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thanks for talking to me.